0: Hey, it's Jay, and we're hard at work on brand new episodes of 3 Clips, but in the meantime, I wanted to give you a little bit of a bonus episode. About four times a year, so once a quarter, I run eight-week intensives for podcasters. These are peer group-based workshops that we host online where you go end-to-end developing a brand new show or reinventing an existing show, all in the name of one thing. Make your audience's favorite podcast. How do you make a show that makes a difference? That could be a difference for your audience, but also, of course, we have to consider your cause, your brand, your business, etc. So, inside of these workshops, which we call the showrunner sessions, inside the showrunner sessions, we do these live special guest Q&As, where I'll bring in somebody from my network or a guest I'm trying to reach out to cold and basically call in a favor and say, hey, if you can come pay it forward to some podcasters, we'd all really appreciate it. And this year... I was able to convince not one, but two people working for the mindfulness and meditation technology company, 10% happier to join us. Now, it sounds a little weird for me to say that 10% happier. It's a tech company. They have an app, they have other content, but I think when you hear their story, you'll be like, Oh damn, I didn't realize a company like that was hiring talent like that. Oh my goodness. So I'm excited for you to listen into this conversation with uh, Jen Poyant and Nate Toby. Uh, they talked to me and some of our students inside one of those live calls and I just wanted to run it as a bonus episode while we produce some brand new sh- episodes of the show. So Thank you so much for listening to Three Clips and consider this a little thank you gift because I'm kind of dipping into the archives from a, a private moment for these students and sharing it publicly with you. So I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a good one. And with that, let's hear from Cardboard Rocketship to take us into this amazing episode of Three Clips. I want to know how to do the things to A
1: thing, a two, a three that only comes from you
0: Coming up in just a moment is that awesome conversation with Jen and Nate. But for now, let's pay the bills really quick with a word from our sponsor, Wistia. This episode is sponsored by Wistia. What gets you so excited that you start talking too loud? A few things that do that to me. uh, Quoting 90s comedies. Yeah. Like, say, if we're debating if shampoo is better or conditioner is better. If you know, you know. Also, I get way too excited about how to make a great marinara sauce. By the way, when it comes to basil and oregano, a palmful, or two or three, that's the correct unit of measurement. And of course, entrepreneurship, creativity, building brands, and telling stories. Those things get me talking too loud. And that's why I have a lot in common with Chris Savage. Chris is the CEO of Wistia, our presenting sponsor. And he's also the host of a great podcast called Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. That's where he talks way too loud about, and to, people who are focused on building more human brands. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and check out more of Wistia's original series, which are quirky and fun, refreshing and insightful, and all focused on building modern brands. You can find Chris's podcast and all their original series at wistia.com slash series. That's wistia.com slash series. First of all, thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate this. The backstory for, uh, I think both of you may have gotten this in an email, but for everybody here. So for three years, I worked for a venture capital firm, um, which maybe sounds odd if anybody knows anything about me, because I'm like, someone told me I could make stuff. So I showed up to the corporate world to work. Like I am not a hardcore, by the numbers, financial mind whatsoever. But the VC firm I worked for, NextView, is a seed stage fund uh, based in Boston, New York in the Valley. And they invest in like very early companies. And they invested in um, this pair of co-founders, Ben and Derek, who were building uh, what was then called Change Collective. The whole idea was to use mobile apps to help people change their behaviors through coaching and trainings and things like that. Um, So Ben, the CEO, and I hit it off because I think we see eye to eye on the use of content in the business world, not as a way to arbitrage your results or force your way into someone's life. but the kind of rallying cry of this whole workshop is it's better to make stuff people like than try to make people like stuff. So I, I am here to create content and I think Ben appreciated that. So we hit it off when I worked for what became one of his investors. Um, so over the years, he and I have talked a lot about podcasts and Ben actually pivoted the business to rename Change Collective 10% Happier. And he built it around one of his now co-founders, Dan Harris, who is a co-anchor uh, for Good Morning America. On the weekends. He's also a longtime anchor for ABC News. And so Dan has a book out called 10% Happier and a podcast of the same name. And that became the company name as well. And over time, Ben started thinking about all these different use cases for great content that builds community. And lo and behold, podcasts, as we all know, are these wonderful vehicles built for depth and intimacy and community development and all these great things and storytelling, um, the things we're all here to master. And so he is starting to staff up wonderful folks like Jen and Nate here who are going to build out a whole slate of programs for 10% Happier. So even though their core competency started as software firm building apps, they're very quickly becoming this like blended model of media and software. I've admired the works of folks like Nate and Jen from afar my whole career. But as someone who is self-taught for the last seven years, I don't have the public radio inspired techniques or practices or philosophies that these two have. So there's a lot that they can both impart to us, uh, whether you're here live, you're watching the video later, or you're listening on three clips. So that's the backstory. I just want to introduce you to our wonderful guests really quickly. Who are these wonderful human beings who agreed to come today? Nate Toby and Jen Poyant. Did I say your last name right, Jen? That's correct. Okay, cool. Uh, So Nate is the director of content for 10% and he's in charge of all their content for the podcast and their in-app experiences. And he has specialized in audience development, community development, staffing creative teams for a number of years, working for organizations like WGBH and PBS. He was a director of podcasts and national cultural programming for American public media as well. And then you have Jen. Jen is, uh, Jen, I gotta say, you have one of the coolest backgrounds in audio that I've encountered yet, Uh, working on shows like Note to Self and Two Dope Queens for WNYC Studios. She also co founded a production company called Stable Genius Productions, love the name, and worked on a show called Zigzag, which is now under the TED podcast umbrella. Um, And she's currently the executive producer of 10% Shows. So today, We're going to touch on a number of topics. Um, We're going to touch on how they're reinventing their core flagship show with ABC News anchor Dan Harris, Uh, a bit about how they're starting a new slate of shows and developing things like the premise and the format, the stuff we're all learning how to develop in the workshop, taking outside pitches, hiring creative teams, all sorts of good stuff. Here's the first question I'd love you to answer because you do have such a different background than most of us in the workshop. What is like one concept or premise or technique? that you've learned in your kind of more public radio or classically trained uh, backgrounds that you wish you knew sooner or that you see more DIY podcasters failing to do that you wish you could impart to the world. So uh, Nate, do you mind kicking us off?
1: No, happy to. Uh, So I think there were sort of two questions, right? a technique that i wish i'd known sooner and one that i wish more diy poster. yeah
0: like. and if it's the same it's sort of like there's all these folks who have the right intent and and yeah. i i pride myself and our, i know our students are proud on we're here to make shows that matter we're not yeah. here because it's a trend we're not here because we want a quick result or fame we want to make shows that say something that matters and i think to do that you know we're all trying our best but very few folks that we are working with have some of the experiences that you both have. And so I'm wondering what you've learned over the years that has made this creative work easier because I think process gets a bad name. um, But bad process is bad, not process. So what have you learned that's good that you wish more podcasters knew?
1: Well, actually I think I would speak to, I mean, what you just said actually is, um, you know, it's very important. I mean, There's a funny thing about creativity, uh, really about creation of any kind, is that um, to really create, you have to be in touch with inspiration, with sort of, um, with your heart, with what you really care about. Um, I I think some of what you're speaking to, Jay, is about authenticity, uh, about being real, about being, you know, um, a human, and not just like trying to force something. Um, All those things come from a place of sort of, freedom and you know, brainstorming and like really knowing what you care about and what you're truly interested in. So I think one skill is really about self-awareness. Like something that I, that I, I find one of the challenges that people can have is they don't really understand, like they're not tracking their own experience enough of like, um, first of all, how interested or like how would you know if this was good? You know, even just the concept and sometimes it's very intuitive it's kind of like you know you hear something and did you tune out or were you paying attention mm. you know, did did you perk up were, you, were you, was there something exciting and it's like you have to first and foremost be able to do that within yourself to actually be your first focus group you know is you like Robert crowich talks about the ability to uh, hear something as a producer like you know you're making it And, and, you know, you're making it as good as you can and you're listening to it again and again, but still being able to step back as if you were hearing it for the first time and be able to respond to it emotionally, like as if you know nothing. So that's one piece that I think is often under cultivated in people that they're too in their head and they're not in their kind of intuitive feeling about it enough. But the other side of that is not being sufficiently process oriented. Uh, because you need that as much. It's like you need to have space. What do they? Call- I think it's like guardrails for creativity. Mm. Creativity does best with guardrails, and this is something I'm. I'm always trying to work with because you know I'm naturally just very much in a flow, like wanting to be in a flow state. But then over time, as I do this more and more, it becomes more clear how the flow state depends on having a guardian of structure yes. of who's responsible for what of what are the expectations? What does success look like? How long do we spend brainstorming? We do this, then we do this, then we do that. All those things. So intuition married to process is a happy podcast maker.
0: It's perfect. You said guardrails. So uh, there was a study out of the university of Illinois, I want to say, where they actually looked at the effects of constraints on creativity and the study found, or the study looked at the ability of children to find carrots buried in a yard. Hmm. And They first tried a yard with like really broad constraints, like a fence that was like way out here. Then they tried removing them. Then they tried different shapes. And, um, you know, people should go check this out. But the punchline of it all was when there was a confined space, obviously, it was easier to find the carrots because you're constrained to a smaller patch of land. But the interesting thing was the children were more organized in how they went about finding the carrots. So I always found that fascinating. I think constraints breed creativity. And I think anyone with, with a professional lens on creativity probably embraces that same idea. So I love that you said the word guardrails because it's literally what they studied. So Jen, what's a concept, technique, process, big or small, something you've learned over the years that you kind of wish either you knew sooner or most podcasters knew sooner?
2: I have found um, that working with a paper edit version of of a script of some sort. Um, So like recording an interview and then laying it into a script and then really seeing what you have, seeing the meat of what you have uh, on a page in in addition to being able to actually hear it has really helped me. So I often encourage producers to get a transcript made Lay it into a Google document and see. Uh, you can actually like s- sit back and kind of get a sense of like, I go back, I listen to what I have, and then I can start to play around with it. I can move things, I can cut things. And this is where that guardrails versus creativity comes in. Right. You start to realize that like there's a beauty in podcasting that you can, you have these building blocks with sound that you can do all sorts of things with, with storytelling or with narrative or, and, it, and, it, if you get a chance to actually look at it and combine that with listening, it starts to open up these possibilities for um, even something as simple as scoring a, a two-way interview, for example. You can start to like light up a, a, a certain section that you really want to hear. Yeah.
0: So, Okay, so a couple things I'll, I'll put a pin in there. So one is if something feels clear or lights you up, you can build around it. Right. So like an example, I don't know, um, from a past edit that we were doing for three clips might be um, there was this runner throughout the episode between me and the guest because we knew each other. And so, okay, that's clear. That's funny. That's charming. Like we can build the moments around that little running gag. Um, And another episode might lack that entirely. Um, But just finding that little handle and then building something around that. Um, Yep. The second thing it sounded like you were talking about is kind of like whether overtly or just based on gut feel blocking out the material visually, how do you do that with a, with a uh, chat cast or an interview show? Like, how are you doing that when it's not a heavily produced narrative style pod?
2: Yeah. So right now we're producing um, 10% happier with, with Dan Harris, right? This is a great example of this. And same thing with note to self. We did this a lot with Manoush where we would, uh, record an interview first prep that you know give give him prep or he would prep it himself and then he goes off and does an interview and then we tr- we literally get it transcribed like Trent or you know you can you can send it off to like uh, any number of transcription services mm-hmm. and then you put that transcript in a Google document um, and then you realize you can look at it and go oh, I realized that the first seven minutes of this is background bio conversation that we don't necessarily need to like start to get into the most interesting meat of the interview. And then you just highlight it and say, you know, add a little comment and say, do we really need this? And whatever producer you're working with or the host, you can say, I want to cut this. And sometimes you have an editorial conversation just there in the Google Doc comments. But you know that process can start to get really sophisticated, where you have, uh, you know, intro at the top and um, like a scripting to get in and out of sections, and you can you can decide, oh, we need some, we need the host to go back in and explain something that we missed or we didn't, you know, make the make quite make this connection, or we want to add a little bit of sound here to connect back and forth. You see, to start to play with things a lot more once yeah. you have that transcript as like the base and the foundation of what you're working with.
0: Talk to me about how, you know, for a show like Dan's or someone else's, interviews seem like it's the normal, safe approach in most people's mm-hmm. minds. It's so hard to be good at an, as an interviewer and yeah. so hard to actually put together an interview afterwards. Um, so what's that process like for Dan? I'm, I don't know if Dan's a good example because he's such a natural or at least he's trained. I don't know if natural That's is it's the right hard. word. He's
2: been in this business for so long yeah. and he's like such a master at it. So right. I don't know if he's the best example because we could – we could set him up with an interview, give him absolutely no prep and he could nail it. So so
0: what does he nail that people seem to overlook then?
2: I think that he is a deep conversationalist. So he gets, uh, right in there. He, he, he generally has mastered his subject matter, which helps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's always an important thing for a host to do, whether you are like actually prepped for the specific interview or you're so, uh, deep into your beat that you're going to be able to wing it right. one way or another. You have to have a mastery of the subject matter, I think. But after that, then it's about curiosity and interest in listening. He's a good listener. He understands how to, um, to stay with a guest and not get distracted or go off on so many tangents. But he also is flexible enough that he will let them go on tangents and follow them where they want to go. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. There's been a process for us where... Uh, We've started to edit the two way interviews a little bit more than we used to. um, And that's been, there's been a question of how much to do that because he doesn't want to discourage people from going off on tangents. I think he loves the idea that when podcasting um, it's a little bit more free flowing. It's a little bit more, there's more freedom to kind of wander around with ideas. Um, So we try really hard. I think it really just depends on each host that you're working with their style, but really like, core fundamentals in interviewing is making sure that the, the interviewer that the host is present is really like engaged is listening uh, to those listening for those moments that, that can turn an interview or that can like pull people in or pull them in even. Right. I mean, it might not necessarily like the, the, the moment that he gets into something might not have necessarily been the one that did for me, but as long as you hear that interest and, in, and you hear the connection between the two of them, you'll keep yeah.
0: listening. Are there, and this is such a subtlety, I realize, but are there things that you would try to spot, or Dan is good at spotting, where it's almost like being on a beach with a metal detector. You're like finding this little beep, and you're like, I'm going to dig there. I feel like most interview podcasts, they just stay on the surface the whole time. And you find, if you're, if you're a podcaster listening to those things, with the right ear you're like oh he should have gone or she should have gone deeper there like that's a missed opportunity so what are those things that either dan is adept at picking up at or we should all try to get better at spotting to be like okay i know i had a planned episode here but this is interesting i'm going to go deeper there what are you looking for
2: i'm looking for i have an example i'm right. editing i'm editing an episode right now that hasn't dropped for for tph uh for a 10 happier but um uh, he was talking about the nature of compassion uh, with his guest, with the, this Zen Zen Buddhist uh, meditation teacher, and she was talking about the nature of human cruelty and how if we don't recognize our cruelty, uh, we'll miss the whole point of being compassionate beings.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so she, that's a that's a hard concept to to sit with. I mean, and they, had, they had kind of been working through these two ideas of compassion versus cruelty. But at one point she said, to understand your sense of cruelty is to actually create an act of self-compassion. And Dan had, had a moment where he sat there and he paused and he went, huh, how is understanding your own sense of cruelty, your own ability to be a cruel person at Which we all do, we all have. How is that an act of self compassion? He was so like blown away by that idea that he stopped and he thought about it, and he realized the counterintuitiveness of that. Yeah. And if he hadn't stopped and done that and said, "Uh huh," and then moved on, it would have been less interesting, right? You could you could just skip over something that that complex of an idea, right? And instead, he stopped, let it sink in, let the listener sink in with it, uh, and. I know I took took a note and I was just editing this piece uh, earlier today. And I put a note and said, this is, might be one of my favorite 10% happier <laughs> moments ever because yeah. of exactly that. Cause he's digging in. He's saying, how does that work? I don't understand that. Say it again. You know, let's go deeper on that one. That's right. it's noticing something that's either counterintuitive or shocking or upsetting. It's under, like, just like Nate was saying earlier about being self-aware you have, to be, you have to be self-aware as a host and as a producer to, to say, how does that make me feel when I'm hearing that? What is, why is that confusing to me? Why is that interesting? Yeah. You have to be quite on your feet to be able to kind of go with it and move with it.
0: And, and appropriately enough for your topics, it's, it's hard not to be, if you're not mindful, completely mindful when you're talking to somebody, it's really hard to spot those moments. If you're checking your phone or, you know, I find when I do an, an interview over video, I, yeah. I, I focus better, right? Because uh, people can see where my eyes are at. If I was holding my phone, scrolling Twitter, I'm rude. So, um, but the other thing you mentioned, and then I, I want to go to to Nate really quick is um, it's almost like you want one plus magic moments instead of this like neatly contained interview where you've touched on all the general topics that is expected of you. It's like better that you know you don't know their entire bio and backstory or figure out the chronology and, and hit on it. If all of a sudden they present something like that little soundbite and Dan really lets it simmer and goes deep, there's so much more value. It's like a value payload almost. It's dense with value or, or interestingness or inspiration. And, and it's better to get a few of those moments than have this like pith. It's like a nice outline that looks good on a Google doc. It could be a blog post later.
1: Yeah, I would just add it. Love what Jen said. Um, two thoughts for me. Um, I don't know if these are equally applicable in all. I mean, some, it kind of depends on the purpose of your show and your interview. And, you know, obviously, like what the, what's your contract with your listener? I mean, what are they, what are they here for? But to me, in general, um, two things that make for better conversation and more interesting tape. One of them is to speak to something that is happening in the moment rather than talking abstractly. Mm. That is just better in life, like as a general rule. Like rather than talking about something that happened in another another time, like what's happening right now. Um, and so a great example of this was we did an episode with Lama Rod uh talking talking to, um about about whiteness and uh concepts of vulnerability and of sort of going to the head instead of staying in the body. Anyway, and rather than just talking about that as like people do that sometimes, Rod was like oh that's happening right now like in our conversation in this exchange you keep on saying like oh explain that to me rather than telling me how you feel so he like named this thing that was happening right then and for me it was my favorite part of the episode because Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you know i was talking about noticing what happens in your body and you lean in and you're like whoa hey dan like you do ask people to explain to themselves constantly or try to break it down in some intellectual way you don't ever really say what you're feeling in the moment very rarely mm-hmm. he's asking that of you what are you going to do you know that's real like that's happening right now bring it into the now the other thing to track for i think is what are you avoiding that that's always going to make for better conversation so in other words as the interviewer you want to be aware enough of like is there something that maybe I'm uncomfortable with right now, or like is a little there's some tension around this, or it's like, um, I don't really understand what they're getting at, or like, I don't really believe you right now. There could be like any number of things going on a little bit beneath your like performative shiny surface of so, hey, this is going great, we're asking awesome questions, and we're so smart, and isn't this awesome, you know, and, and to track for like yeah, actually, I, um, I don't really believe what you just said. You know I mean? Like something where it's like, what are you not saying? You know, what's the level underneath what's yeah. happening now? Yeah. Bring that in. You're going to get to something more interesting for the listener. They're noticing what you're avoiding, whether they realize it consciously or not. Yeah. They,
0: they know. It, it, it's a blessing and a curse that all of my shows have been in the business world because I've, I've had to interview a lot of executives yeah. Um, which has taught me a lot about what people try to avoid and who's overly coached by a PR team or machine behind them. And going to 30,000 foot view, not even big brands, like a, a founder of a small startup might think, it's more interesting if I wax eloquent about one building a business, one should do this, or in general, we do this versus the specifics and the feelings and the details. And so I feel like you can kind of divide moments into like two camps of like, tell me about and how did it feel? The details of the story and the reflections on it. And I feel like people, people really suck at giving you both. And so you kind of just have to be able to point that out. Like, I, this is what I'm looking for. And I almost feel like that's where the public radio, uh, almost apologetic demeanor of a lot of hosts and producers helps. Because you're interviewing someone that you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Can I just, I just want to jump in. Um, so, okay. I want to get, you know, it's like, if, if you're thrusting really hard, you're like, what about that? If you're challenging, if you're Kara Swisher, it's really difficult sometimes. And you know, it can be easier to be like hat in hand, like I would just, ma'am, sir, I would just like to ask you for this tough detail. Could you please? No problem, sure. Right? It's almost like a sneaky advantage. I don't know. I'm not from public radio, I think so this you're is right about I, that.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. There's a gendered aspect to that, though, too. Though that is there? that's easier for guys, I think, to pull off than it is for women. Uh, interesting. From my my personal experience, because we have to balance like not seeming dumb. Or playing dumb, depending mm-hmm. on the situation, and so we have to be either overly direct, or especially and in, in also depending on if you're a journalist like Kara Swisher, like she's going for something there. She's going for you,
0: yep. boom! Question. <laughs> That's her what style. To
2: her. You know, oh, yeah. but if you're if you're you are a public radio journalist and you're a woman and you're both trying to like straddle the line of. Making people feel safe, but also not sounding like an idiot. It's yeah. <laughs> sometimes it can be really hard. I used to have to. Manoush um, is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met, and there were there were points where she and I would talk about voicing style, and I would say, "I think you sound like you're playing dumb here, and you're smarter than this, and you know it." You know.
0: So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So Manoush, for people who don't know, she hosts Zigzag, I mentioned at the top, but also she hosts the TED Radio Hour now. Um, took over for Guy Raz. She can hang. I mean, she can hang with the best and brightest of them. You're right. I mean,
2: but it's something where I think a lot of women are very aware of, um, even from the public radio background as a yeah. host.
0: Um, well, let, let me play dumb for a moment because it's a pretty authentic dumb in this moment. Um, so I, I do think it's important that people understand sort of like the apparatus that goes into making a great show. Uh, so like, Jen, you're an executive producer. Okay. Like, what the heck does what that is- mean?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's funny because it probably it probably varies depending on the type of shop you're in and how many shows you're "quote unquote" running. Right. Uh, but generally, that's um a show runner type job. You hear that that uh, that buzz phrase out there, showrunner. But in my case, it means that I'm in charge of running multiple shows or and developing multiple shows at 10% happier. And it was that was the same I had the same title at WNYC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at WNYC, it was two shows and then a podcast festival, and um, so it just depends. But mostly, it's ma- it's managing teams. So I'm not the one necessarily. I really shouldn't be necessarily digging in uh, to edits as I was doing earlier today. But I I am doing it because we're we're working on a, a high value series and we have a small team right now. But we're right. hiring uh, lots of people in the next <laughs> couple months to make that team bigger. And then it will be my job to, uh, to manage that team, make sure the systems are going well, make sure those guardrails that, that Nate was talking about, making sure those work in a very efficient way, but yeah. also creating enough space for people to be creative, to people, be- for people to be inspired, um, and bringing the expertise of understanding how to like do storytelling, all the things that we're talking about. It's right. my job to make sure all those systems hum.
0: And quick follow up on, on that role, Jen, and then Nate, I, I want to talk about your job title and, and responsibilities too. As an executive producer, like what are the skills that you think somebody might need? Obviously it might differ, even somebody else in your position with a similar role at a similar company, it differs, but in your specific shoes, like what are the skills you've developed over the years? Because um, obviously it's different than say being a host and having certain skills like that or being a reporter. So uh, if you yeah, can describe yeah. some of the stuff you have to be good at, what, what are those things?
2: Well, I think it has helped me that I've had experience in all of those realms, I will say. Like yeah. I've been a reporter, I've been a host, I've, um, you know, scripted from soup to nuts, live daily news shows, but also, you know, podcasts from narrative to also like live comedy, weirdly enough. I didn't script the comedy at all. That was all <laughs> just, just to make that clear. But my point is, is that I think when when you get to an executive producer level, you need to have pretty much all the experience uh, of making all types of different shows. You need field experience. You just need need a depth of experience in all sorts of different ways of making media so that you can then direct people and direct the systems in the right way. doesn't mean you have to be masterful at all of them, but you definitely need the experience to know how it all works and what people should be doing and when people are gonna be spinning their wheels Uh, and I mean, I think also that like, there's a key factor in just being, um, being able to understand the business side of things too, Mm -hmm. when you get to this level, like you have to understand, um, you know, things like how many downloads you should, what success means, how many downloads you're shooting for, uh, understanding how the ads work in this market. You know, you have to, you can't just be a creative type in this role. It helps to have both.
0: Right. Well, and that brings me to, to Nate because, um, you know, again, director of content, very different flavors in different organizations. I, I've held that role before. It looked, it looked a certain way. It almost looked like a managing editor or an editor in chief role when I held it. But when you say you're the director of content and you're focused on podcasts and in-app experiences, what does that mean and what are the skills that you're trying to be good at?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think broadly it means that you are responsible for articulating and and overseeing the execution, the successful execution of a vision and a strategy for what the, um, basically what the user or audience experience of your brand is. And, and, uh, particularly in, in the sense of what, what are the the values, the sensibility, um, what is the, what does the 10% happier content experience become for people? Questions like what mediums should we use most? What should we prioritize? Should we be primarily making videos? Should we be making podcasts? Um, it's having a sort of unified theory for you know how the podcasts connect to the app, and and then it's even like well what you know questions like what kinds of shows should we be making? What's the unmet need in the marketplace? It's kind of a combination of creative vision and strategy, and then the other big piece of that is if I had to cleave it in two basic things. Uh, I would describe it as product quality is one side. So like, how do I make sure that the quality of the product that we're creating um, is consistent and exceptional and unique and all these things that we need it to be? And the other part of that is, are the operations that we need to have in place to execute on that vision in place? And so that's like, you know, things like overseeing project management and who's, you know, getting a lot of it is like team management. Yeah. We have the right people in the right jobs and, you know, who else do we need to hire and what are we missing to make this thing really work?
0: I want to focus the time we have left on like squarely on show development and maybe through the lens of one show. um, One of the things that I've noticed about many shows, and this is why we were talking about show development in the workshop, not just like the physics components of making episodes, but developing your ideas, oh, by the way, it happens to be audio, right? One of the problems that everybody encounters is they think that their premise is simply the topics they explore, what they explore. And I think it's also how you explore it, your angle or point of view. And so we talk about crafting a premise and we use several different frameworks, but one that I think is the most helpful because it really forces you to think critically and interrogate your own assumptions about what you're doing. We call the XY premise pitch. Um, so, there's an XY story pr- pitch framework that is very popular. Like, it's a story about X, it's interesting because why? XY premise pitch sounds like this is a show about X, where X is your topics. Unlike other shows about X, only we, why? And uh, mindfulness, meditation, mental well being, very saturated across all mediums, not just podcasting. How do you start thinking about the differentiation, the only we, why part of? Ten percent happier. Maybe it's only we have Dan Harris as the host. I understand that's an anchor, um, or future shows that you're developing.
2: I think um, a big part of it for us is making is two things. One, Nate and I both do come from the public radio background, so we know how to tell stories, um, and we also know how to source and find very interesting hosts and producing producing talent. Uh, so that that kind of creates a combination of okay, we can maybe comment these ideas that have been saturated in the market and just tell stories better or, or have conversations that are just more interesting <laughs> between the editing and uh, and the the entire process, soup to nuts. But
0: but is that is that defensible though? Like, there's a ton of shows that cover this topic, but we do it better. Is kind of like up to the well, uh, it's, uh, um, I didn't get I didn't to finish
2: my second part. Oh, which fair, was, okay. <laughs> which was that Like we want to be able to create an entire brand of shows. So like a slate of shows yeah. that all are tied together through the notion or the concept of relatable wi- wisdom. And we want to be able to bounce that, like bounce people from one show to the next to the next uh, in a way that they all hold together as a piece. And I think that's very different than anything else anybody has done yet.
0: right do you have an example of what that looks like I know I know a lot of this is under development so if you if you can't speak to it specifically please let yeah, me know I mean
2: I think I can give like some broad strokes um, but like we're thinking about uh, a show about the nature of emotions for example and doing really interesting deep you know deep storytelling deep dives into that and then another show about the nature of masculinity in our society and how it affects our our lives Mm. very like similar to how we had used to talk about note to self as like the tech show about being human, you know, but we looked at that at the tech world through the framework of humanity, of our bodies, our brains, our democracy, our relationships. So thinking about these ideas from a very relatable perspective and then telling those stories in a deep way. So if you have a show about masculinity and how it affects our relationships, Uh, affects the way we interact with human beings and we dive into that. And then you can bounce over to, oh, well, you know, this show about masculinity is actually really interestingly related to this show about anger and what anger is. Uh, I'm going to jump over here, but really that concept is actually explored over here in 10% happier from a Buddhist lens in a way that I would never have expected. And I can actually find a meditation about that. So like creating a collective and a collection of, different shows that are told beautifully, all from the lens of uh, relatable wisdom, I do think is defensible. I don't know anybody that's doing anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, Nate, is there anything else you'd add to that? I think the other thing is that there's a lot
1: of stuff in the wellness, kind of like wellness, broadly defined. It's pretty bad. I mean, you know, (laughs) so like I think that's the other thing is that like, we're going to be bringing a level of depth you know, in a lot of different senses, depth, yeah. creativity. Um, and you know, I think some of this speaks to our company's DNA that, um, you know, we're not the, we have some sort of Buddhist, um, it's like Buddhist informed in a, in a very an interesting way that we're helping people meet the challenges of life with clarity, with equanimity, with you know, um, with sort of um, courage, you know, it's not just about like, Hey, we're going to soothe you or like, Hey, you can just like check out and imagine a palm tree. It's like that. Nothing again. That's great. But there's a place, but you know, I think part of the reason we're leaning into doing like really ambitious media is because, you know, we want to help you, you know, engage with life, with the world as it is and feel clear and balanced and feel wise and learn and grow and you know i think there's so we have a unique kind of vantage point and sort of brand dna to do this from right it uh, creates just a great launch pad for um, doing this kind of work
0: all right hey there this is a uh, narrator jay this is the future version uh, I guess every every time you hear my voice on any show, it's, it's my past self, but as I record this right now, I'm my current self talking to you in this transition as separate from my even further in the past self from the live call with Jen and Nate. Anyways, here's Narrator Jay saying we wanted to do some Q&A with our students and uh, also transition into that so you knew what the heck was happening. You're seeing how the sausage is made, or the audio, that we're stitching together. For a bonus episode to talk about podcasting to podcasters on a podcast. Anyways, Q&A with the audience. Here we go. The questions we're getting uh, in the comments. So this one comes from Amanda. Many of us don't have a team of people to help us produce our shows. What advice do you have for people who are searching for a low lift structure?
2: It depends. I mean, it kind of depends on what the goal of the show is. Like, is this a weekly show or how often are you, like, how often are you, um, if if it's a simple low lift show and we're, uh, and you're publishing like once a week, I would just be very ruthless about both your prep, uh, what you're trying to get out of it, and then try as hard as you can to interview what we call live to tape. So meaning just record it as is. Cut as little as you possibly can out of it, and keep it simple.
0: Amanda, there, I see you just came on video. Is there anything to add? Any context to help?
2: Yeah, no. Um, I think what you said was was very helpful. Um, the the idea, kind of the behind that question is, um, yes, two person kind of team, three person team. We have the ability to produce a few shows in advance before we need to launch them. Um, kind of as a guest on somebody else's platform so we're trying to crank out 10 episodes in a month so we've got a lot of the interviews but we are really trying to make sure that we have that story arc within all of those interviews without needing scripting originally we wanted to do scripting take two or three guests per inter not per interverb but per, per episode you know to really get that um I don't know, that meaningful connection of like, oh, all these different perspectives for this one topic. We're not able to do that right now. And that just kind of became a reality this week. <laughs> I think you're right about that. That sounds like a lot for that many episodes produced in, in a month. So I would, yeah, I would, I would scale back and, and simplify the, the structure, like you said, kind of similar to what Jay said earlier about um, like cold open intro, long interview, maybe a break in between. That's it, which you can do wonderfully, like wonderful, beautiful things with. Like you can mm-hmm. still create a wonderful story arc mm-hmm. just with a two-way, as well. I mean that that requires a little bit of cutting and moving things around. Um, uh, if if you want to try to do that, it's I think it's that using that um, Google Doc to like get a sense of, oh well, this little section down here actually could could really be better at the top of the show. That sort of yeah. thing can actually. It, it make a huge difference in uh, in your final product.
1: Oh, and I, I have one other piece of advice, Amanda. I, I think having um, this is always true, especially when it's a smaller team. Uh, the importance of the the conceit of the show becomes so much more important. And what I mean by that is like it's like having an idea for the the, the kind of conversation you have, the purpose of the conversation, the structure of the conversation, that is already interesting and is like clear from the beginning will just save you an enormous amount of work so like you know my favorite example of what i mean by conceit it's like um you know there's a million podcasts about music and i mean take your pick but you know song exploder came up with this concept of like no we're just going to have each episode be about the making of one song the creator talks about the creation of one song and we basically tell the story how did you make this song? from beginning to end. And just having that, it's like the amount of like work saved by having decided on that clarity is enormous. It's like, now you don't need three people to try to figure out how to make this interview arc work. It's like, oh no, the interview arc is basically always the same thing. It's how you made, like tell us about when you were inspired to write this song and then what you did next, like how did you start to write lyrics? And it's just the same arc. Or How I Built This is another one where it's like, oh, tell us the story of making your company, which sounds very simple and obvious, but like most interview shows, the problem isn't that they need four people. The problem is that they never actually did this work. They're not actually that sure on what the show is about or what the structure really should be. And they just never really know. So, and when you're listening to it, you're like, well, this is kind of all over the place
0: the Workshop students who are listening to this or watching this or are here live are like, Jay, bribe these two people because we're talking about the thing. Like, we uh, Amanda, we, we've, you and I have talked to the extent you can make eye contact with somebody over Zoom. As soon as you both started your different answers, Amanda and I both like looked at each other because you know, we're talking about Amanda's exploring a broad topic of community and the power of community and the importance of community. And then we start to try and find the niche and find the hook and find the premise. And then we move to okay, and how what's the arc of the episode and all these things affect what you ask and when you ask them and when you spend your time like diving deep into certain things. And, and none of this has to do with lots and lots of heavy lift post-production or four different voices. It's, you know, you have a clear premise, you have a clear format, or at least a rough idea of that arc. So here's another question actually from Amanda. I'd love, I'd love to ask this one too. What is the worst struggle you have in regards to creating podcasts? It could be with show creation, technical skills, or simply the area that you're the hardest on yourself. Jen, you want to go first?
2: It sounds so boring, but um, building, like, like really dedicating myself to building the team, making the team work, is like both the best and the worst at the same time. I don't know huh. if that's a cheat, but you really have to dedicate yourself to like. And I mean like recruiting, hiring, uh, making sure everybody is like creatively gelling, but also working together. The ma- people management for like a like a large um system is really uh an art form and a and it's it's complex. And so you want to nail it and it takes a, a tremendous amount of um effort and care to do it well.
0: I'm gonna tweak the question uh, for Nate so we can close with uh an example, if you can, what's a, an example from your career where, you know, um, something was a struggle and how you, how did you overcome it? I've never struggled.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Yeah. Bye. Um, let me see, boy, which one to choose. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Plenty of struggles. Um, I got one. Yeah. To be honest with you, like almost every challenge or, or thing I would have done differently pretty much just came from not, not trusting my intuition as well as I should have. Um, Like a really good example was like, I had this show about, it's a really interesting show premise um, about, it was called um, not your average family was what it was going to be called. And it was basically about like stories of like what, makes family work or not work like in each episode was going to be like sort of the, like the story of a, of a unique of an individual family premise was just that like we think we know something about family but like every family is totally unique and there's there are trends or themes but it was like you know and family looks so different today than it has and it's always changing all these questions and we also had a sponsor we had a lot of good things going for it the host was like super passionate about it, really interesting, uh, ta- uh, talented. But I, wa- I the very first video of her, um, but that she was shared with me, she felt really stiff, and I just didn't care that much. I was like kind of bored, but I was like, no, she's great. And the thing is that like it took us like three, four months of like making something and being like, God, it's just not quite. Something is, what? And then finally, after four months being like, oh, you're not a host. <laughs> you know, like like you want to be a host. Boy. And, like, and I've done everything that we could to try to help you. But like, it's just not going to happen. You know? Yeah. Just, you know, you just don't, it's just not there. And I think like, so with creative decisions like that, it's like, it's not allowing the, uh, the sort of momentum or the convenience or whatever the heck it is that is driving you to to overrule your sort of, you know, mm. initial gut sense of something. Uh, uh, you know, and that can take a lot of different forms of just like like, oh, you know, man, I don't this team is like having a lot of conflict. We gotta figure some different way of working together. And then just being like, no, I think it's probably fine. <laughs> it's like, no, you're probably on to something whatever my first impression is upon hearing somebody's creative work is probably, there's probably something true about it that um, that even if I don't like the implication, mm-hmm. of, you know, everybody says this person's great or like this person already has all this money to offer the, whatever the hell it is. It's like, if you don't have the right producer, the right host, just, you know, it, it's kind of like dating. It's like you go on your first date you might have some like little voice in your mind that's like, you know, nice person. I don't really see this
0: working out. It's like just stop, just yeah. stop. <laughs> Especially <laughs> yeah. if it keeps if it keeps coming back. Too, uh, Jen, you seemed excited about something. Can you chime in?
2: No, yeah, no, I just I could not agree more with me in the sense that it if once you hone that skill of trusting your gut, uh, man, you become ruthless too. Like because you have to do it, you have to make those decisions faster and faster and faster. It creates a lot more success, honestly, because you pivot really fast and you move. And if you learn how to trust that intuition, um, it really makes a huge difference. And that's also true in the context of like, just knowing what's good of like figuring out what's good. Um, so it's not just like when things are going wrong, but like being like, I know, I know that that person is going to be a fantastic host, you know, uh, and learning how to gauge that takes a little, maybe it takes a little bit of time, but you get better and better at it as you, as you go.
0: Uh, we're at time. I could talk to both of you forever. Thank you so much for joining us. And as a way of saying, thank you. Um, some shows send swag and cards and things like that. We like to place a donation in your honor to no kid hungry. Um, and obviously there's a lot more problems with people who are food insecure right now, given the pandemic and the economy. So it's even more important for us that we do that. So Jen, Nate, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the show. Every time you do, you're supporting an independent show built by independent creators. Special thanks to our producer today, Andrea Moraskin, and of course, original theme music, as always, is provided by Cardboard Rocket Chip, an independent folk band in New York City. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to Wistia, our presenting sponsor. You can explore all of their original series in audio and video dedicated to creators in business and marketers. If you like the idea of building brands that make a difference, of building companies that are more human, they have all kinds of original series about those themes. Check them out at wistia.com slash series. Lastly, as always, you can hear from me every Friday in my newsletter, Playing Favorites. Every Friday morning, a new idea, trying to uncover something to help us make our audience's favorite content, because that's the job. So check your show notes for a link to any of this stuff, or subscribe to my newsletter at marketingshowrunners.com. All right, that's it for me. I'm Jay Aconzo, and I believe this work we do is not about who arrives, it's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me and I'll talk to you every other Monday on this show and every Friday in my newsletter. See ya.